Well, friends, if you got your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 45 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. Pastor Brandon's going to come up, and I'm going to pray for him and read the text for him this morning. So um, if you've got a Bible, you can, you can open it up to that, or you can follow along on this, the screens here. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler of the land of Egypt. Hurry, And go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, and there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty." And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt. And of all you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, the brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, what a powerful passage. Lord, I don't know that there is a more powerful picture of what is possible through the grace of Christ than this one. Lord, some of us are just catching up on this story. Others are tracking along. Some of us are finding our place in this story pretty easily. Maybe others of us not. God, this is otherworldly grace that we're reading about, that we're hearing. And God, I pray that you would that you would prick our souls and our hearts this morning in such a way that we would be compelled and controlled by the love of Christ and not the ways of this world. Lord, we pray for your servant Brandon this morning as he comes to bring your word. God, I pray that... Uh, that he would be a vessel of the Holy Spirit in our lives this morning. We thank you for your word. It's the solid rock that we stand on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Several several years ago, I was at a place in my life where I was working my way through the 12 steps of addiction recovery. 
God had been uh, revealing to me a lot of the underlying reasons why I kept turning to sin as a way of coping with the pain and disappointment that I experienced in my life. And, and uh, many of my problems, they stemmed from my troubled relationship with my father. Dad was a, was a deeply flawed man, and, and although he loved me, he made many bad choices in his life, and, and some of those hurt me deeply. When I got to step nine, it was time for me to make amends. And, and what that means is that I, I needed to seek uh, forgiveness from those that I had harmed, and I needed to offer forgiveness to those who had harmed me. Now, the key to a successful step nine is, is, is you have to make amends with someone without expecting anything in return. And, and with my father, I found that this was next to impossible. You see, I, I wanted him to be so inspired by, by my recovery journey that he would decide to work on his own issues. I wanted him to recognize how deeply that he had hurt me, and I wanted him to apologize. At the very least, I wanted him to be supportive of me as I uh, continued to, to grow in Christ and, and move on in my life. When I set about uh, trying to make amends with my dad, my sponsor, he stopped me on several occasions um, from meeting with my dad. E each time he told me, you're not ready yet. You're still expecting something in return. I was too concerned with his stuff. I hadn't done any of the work to, to remove the plank from my own eye. Uh, I'm glad that he, he made me wait until I was ready. But when I finally did meet with my dad, it was really simple. There wasn't all these dramatic moments that I had envisioned in my head. I, I simply shared a little bit with him about my time in recovery, and then I ended it by saying, Dad, I forgive you for not being a perfect father. And if I'm being honest, when I went into this meeting, I, I didn't know what to expect of myself. I I didn't know what, what was I going to do if it didn't go well. What if he got mad? What if he cried? What happened um, was actually kind of worse. <laughs> he didn't say anything at all. It was as if I had said nothing. Surprisingly, I, I found that this was okay. Uh, I had done my part. And with God's help in my life, I, I, I moved on. And that resentment that I had held inside for all of those years, it was finally gone. It vanished. And this turned out to be a major turning point in my Christian walk and life. You see, we think that, that if we withhold forgiveness, uh, that it punishes those who have hurt us. But the reality is that it only punishes us. Because unforgiveness, it becomes resentment. And resentment operates inside of our body like a disease, like a cancer, eating us from the inside out. 
And I have a, I have a theory why that is. It's because being unforgiving is the exact opposite of Jesus' nature. And we are made in his image and we are called to be conformed into the very nature of Christ. When people hurt us, especially people, you know, who are supposed to love us and protect us, it it can be really difficult for us to find our way to forgive them. It may even feel impossible. And I think that the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers can be really helpful to us. And so this morning, we're, we're going to take a look at this a bit. We're going to look at God's sovereignty in the face of mankind's evil actions. And then we're going to take a look at how understanding God's sovereignty can uh, enable us to forgive others. Our big idea this morning is uh, we can truly forgive others only if we truly embrace God's sovereign plan. So, God is sovereign over all things, even the actions of those who hurt us. You know, the, this passage of Scripture in Genesis 45, it's one of the clearest examples that we have in Scripture of the sovereignty of God and how it relates to the free will of sinful man. I want to take a minute and try and get our heads around this kind of theological concept because it's important to how we understand the concept of true forgiveness. Joseph, we see in the story, he had it clear in his head that God was in control of everything that had happened to him. He doesn't dismiss the actions of his brothers. He mentions twice that his brothers had sold him into Egypt, but five times he mentions that it was God who decided that he would go into Egypt and that it was God who controlled what happened to him there. And these statements in in Joseph's mind are not contradicting themselves. All, All seven of these statements are true at the same time. Let's break it down a little bit. There was really only one action that we're considering, this this action that Joseph was sold into slavery. Now, there's two parties who exercised their will to make this come to pass. One party was Joseph's brothers, and the other party was God himself. The brothers actually performed the action, and God sovereignly determined that it definitely would happen. Now, already we're encountering what theologians kind of refer to as the incomprehensibility of God. It's words like this, it's why theologians don't get invited to any of the good parties. What it means, incomprehensibility, is that there are aspects of our infinite God that we as finite beings will never be able to fully comprehend. Scripture tends to talk about these things as either hidden or secret things and things that are revealed. The Apostle Paul, when he encountered these things, he would often refer to them as mysteries. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, "'The secret things belong to the Lord our God.'" 
but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So this mystery is it's shown as a good thing. It's a good thing that our God cannot be fully comprehended. It means that we serve a big God, a a capable God, a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. And so we can take comfort in this thought. And as we keep that in mind, we can take a closer look at the mystery of God's sovereignty. Scripture tells us that God has foreordained all things that come to pass. We see this in Ephesians 1.11 where it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. I think sometimes we, we, try to, we try to make God seem softer or nicer or something. We want to apologize for him. We, we try to argue that God has nothing to do with the bad things that come to pass in life, like sin or like natural disasters. But scripture is really, really clear on this. God is sovereign over everything, not just the good stuff. Consider Amos 3.6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And in just a few weeks, we'll, we'll be in Genesis 50, where, where we kind of get the theme verse of, of all of Joseph's story. When Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's all mixed up with the evil and the good. He's sovereign over all of it. And so when Joseph tells us that God sent him into Egypt, we can accept this, even though we know that his brothers brought it about in a sinful way. Theologians, They call this secondary causes. God not only determines what's going to happen, he's the primary cause, but he also determines how it's going to happen, the secondary cause. And that secondary cause is often sinful man. But does this make God the author of sin? Isn't God responsible for the sinful actions of Joseph's brothers if he's the one who has determined what they were going to do? Well, the answer according to Scripture is no. James 1, 13 through 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. We know that God is perfectly holy and has perfect goodness. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the simple answer to this incredibly complex matter is this. God and Joseph's brothers are both responsible 
for the action of Joseph being sold into slavery. For the brothers, it was sinful because their motives were sinful. They had been lured and enticed by their own desires. But for God, on the other hand, it was perfectly righteous because his motive was to preserve life and to preserve a remnant of his people and ultimately to do a work of redemption in his people that would directly lead to the coming of Jesus Christ and the redemption of all people who believe. Someone once asked the uh, pastor, Vodi Bauckham, they, they asked him, how could God use sinful men to accomplish his good purposes? And he replied, what other kind of men does he have to choose from? I think that's a good point. We have to maintain a a proper perspective. See, God does not remove our free will, but neither does he ever leave our sin unrestrained. See, sin is, is not running rampant through our world. There is never a moment that God is not in control of it. Now, it's true that we are what uh, theologians call totally depraved. That means that every aspect of our being has been corrupted by the sin that entered the world through the fall. But by the sovereign grace of God's restraining hand, we are not utterly depraved. If we were, we would all be trying to murder each other right now. There would be nothing but killing and mayhem and destruction throughout God's creation. The proper perspective is is that God is not authoring sin, but he is constantly reigning over it. He's constantly restraining it. And all the while, he is working all things, evil and righteous, together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose as we see in Romans 8, 28. Now, knowing that God is sovereign is not the same thing as seeing the whole picture of what God is doing in our lives. Joseph's brothers, they had no idea that God was involved with them when they threw Joseph in the pit. And by the time of our text, Joseph, he's seeing that God is all mixed up in his situation. But, but I don't think he had any idea that by bringing his family to Egypt, he was setting up God's sovereign plan that they would remain there in slavery for hundreds of years. And while they're enslaved, God's people, they don't see God's greater plan for redemption. And, and even those who survived to the Exodus, who who are brought out of Egypt, they didn't understand God's overall plan for the Gentile people and their redemption through the coming Messiah, Jesus. See, our failures and our successes, they're all just part of this this beautiful, large tapestry that only an an omniscient and all-powerful God could possibly weave together. It's a mystery how it all works, but it's the clear teaching of Scripture. We're free to act in our own nature, 
and we're responsible for our actions. But God is always in sovereign control. And any other interpretation either makes God impotent or makes us into mindless automatons, neither of which we see in Scripture. Now, I know you can't fully grasp it, right? If you think about it too long, your head starts to hurt. And, and that's because God is incomprehensible. But you know what? We can believe it by faith because it's revealed to us in the Word of God. And when we do believe this, it unlocks the key to forgiveness. Let me explain using Joseph's situation. If Joseph had no idea about the sovereignty of God, if he was simply of the mindset that it was his brothers who had sent him into Egypt without God being involved, he would not have been at peace at all. He would have been asking himself, why am I living in a foreign land instead of being a part of God's chosen people? He would have said, why am I estranged from my father and my youngest brother? Why am I married to this pagan woman who doesn't believe any of the things that I believe? And why is it that I'm in, in Egypt, in this place where I'm not supposed to be? And as he asked all of these questions, there would be only one answer that he could give himself. It is because of my jealous brothers and their evil intent towards me. And there's no basis for forgiveness here. But Joseph walked with God. And, and God had revealed to him, at least in part, how he himself had foreordained all of the things that had happened to Joseph. And that perspective changed everything. Now, I think he probably still longed to live in the promised land with his own people. He probably thought about how nice it would be to be married to a nice Jewish girl. He probably wished that he was not estranged from his family. But I, I know he felt these things. But because he served a sovereign God, he understood that he was not in the wrong place. That God had him where he was at that time for a very specific purpose. And this enabled him not only to embrace the power and privilege that had been set upon him by Pharaoh, but also to embrace his imperfect marriage. And it placed him in a position to forgive his brothers and be reconciled to his family because he recognized that God had used them in his life and ultimately he recognized that he was just like them. He was a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. Now we're not told much about Joseph's sin in scripture but like all people, just like you and me, he falls short of the glory of God. Yeah, he did the right thing sometimes, but, but even then his every action, just like ours, was tainted by his total depravity, by his sin nature. 
It tainted everything to some degree. So don't make that mistake of, of reading the story of Joseph and thinking that because he had these blessings from Pharaoh, because he had found favor in the eyes of God, don't make the mistake of thinking that that means he somehow earned his salvation. Like his grandfather Abraham, Joseph was saved by faith alone, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, not by works. And just like his brothers, Joseph was a sinner who was being used by God as a part of his sovereign plan. Now, Joseph, he looked forward to a coming Messiah. And we, we look back to that exact same Messiah, Jesus, who is the descendant of Joseph's forgiven brother, Judah. Now, he didn't know the name Jesus, but he understood that he was forgiven. And it was out of gratitude for that that he was moved to forgive others. So let me ask you a question. Who are you holding responsible for your present circumstances? What, whatever challenges are in front of you, have, have you stopped to consider that, that they're a part of God's sovereign plan? And if, if God truly has ordained everything that comes to pass, have you considered how that ought to change how you feel about the people in your life? Does it change at all how you feel about yourself? My challenge to you this morning is ask God what he's up to. Try to consider your life in light of God's sovereignty over the good and the bad. Ask him, is there anyone in my life that I need to forgive? That brings me to our next point, which is we can forgive when we know that we have been forgiven. You know, once we come to fully appreciate this this true meaning of God's sovereignty, and we begin to look at others the way that God does, it becomes really difficult for us to bear a grudge against anyone, even against those who have hurt us. See, our desire for retaliation and revenge, in light of God being a part of our life, it becomes a desire for genuine reconciliation. Indeed, once we've been reconciled to God... We're called to partner with him in his ministry of reconciliation. Now, I feel like I need to pause right here for just a moment because I want to be absolutely clear about something. We are called to, to be reconciled to others even when it's painful and difficult. But sometimes there are people in our lives that are not safe. And maybe they're abusive, or maybe they're a source of sinful temptation for us. Scripture tells us what to do with these people. It tells us to avoid them. If you're feeling a conviction from the Spirit to, to be reconciled with someone that has been unsafe in your past, let me urge you, 
not to move forward with that until you have found a good counselor who can help you determine how you would do that in a safe way with appropriate boundaries. Okay? I want to be clear on that. And then we can get back to Joseph. See, Joseph, he, he certainly had the option to get revenge on his brothers. He could, he could have sent an army, right, into Canaan and just wipe them out. He, he could have chosen to, to bring them to Egypt, but then relate to them as, as an overlord. Or he could have sent them away and just let them starve. Or maybe he would have only offered his help to his father and Benjamin. But Joseph, he wasn't bearing a grudge. He truly wanted to be reconciled to them too. He wanted to relate to them again as brothers. And despite everything, all of the hatred that they had shown him, he could not even restrain his joyful tears as he reconnected with them. You know, I can kind of relate to Joseph. I know you, it'll be difficult for you to believe this about me because I'm so great now. <laughs> but I used to really struggle with being judgmental. I think I had the spiritual gift of selective discernment. I could see the sin in everyone except myself. If someone had a problem in their life, I could, I could have told them exactly what it was they were doing wrong. I could have helped them come up with a plan to get back on the path of righteousness. And I had no forgiveness in my heart for anyone who didn't do the right things. But I was, I was the worst kind of Christian. I was a true hypocrite. I was judging everyone else while secretly living a life of deep sin myself. I know you're saying, that doesn't sound a lot like Joseph, but bear with me. God does something. One day, God decided he was going to humble me. And by his grace, my secret life of sin came into the light. And all of a sudden, I was exposed. For years, I was on this journey of discovery uh, the spirit gently but firmly showing me just how total my depravity was. And through it all, I was embraced by a loving Savior who as I confessed one sin after another after another, he only held me tighter. You know, recently my D group has been going through a book, uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. I highly recommend it. He, he uh, quotes the Puritan John Bunyan, and, and he wrote something in here. I feel like these words were taken from my own personal experience, and if you'd indulge me a little, I just want to read it to you. No way, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in many kinds of ways, and I know. He responds, well, you know most of it, sure. Certainly, you know more than others see, but there's perversity inside me that is hidden from everyone. Brandon, I know it all. Well, the thing is, see, it's not, it's not just my past. 
It's also my present too. I understand that. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. Well, that's the only kind of person that I'm here to help. The burden is heavy, and it's getting heavier all the time. Well, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses, they aren't directed towards others. They're directed towards you. Well, then I'm probably the one who's most suited to forgive you then, aren't I? But the more of the ugliness in me that you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Brandon, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It took me a long time to accept that I could not offer Jesus a a suitable reason to reject me. But when it really began to sink in, I found something new inside. I found that I was no longer able to judge others. When I would notice my sin in others, I recognized that it was, the only reason I recognized is because it looked just like me. And church people have confessed to me some of the most heinous sins over these years. And every time I just realized that, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm capable of the exact same things. Jesus did not cast me out and I cannot cast anyone else out. And I think that Joseph went through something similar. You know, what we don't see in our text today is the years of heart work that God apparently brought Joseph through. But nevertheless, it is evident that God did this work in him. He understood that but for the grace of God, he was just as sinful as his brother's. Joseph was a man well acquainted with his own sin nature, and he couldn't help but have compassion on those who also struggle with sin. There's a freedom and a peace that comes when we recognize our need to forgive imperfect people. And I believe this is because it's when we're most aligned with the heart of our Savior who did the same thing for us. This is our unity in Christ. And I know we struggle with forgiving those people who have hurt us. They don't seem like they're ever going to change. And often these people are our parents or our spouse or our kids. It could be anyone close to us, really. See, people are imperfect, and, and because this is true, our reconciliation with them will never be perfect. They're going to continue to disappoint, and we're going to continue to disappoint. And yet there's a beauty here that we, we need to be really careful that we don't miss it. See, these broken relationships, they mirror our own ongoing failure to respond to Jesus' forgiveness with the perfect obedience that he is due. When we come to accept that others are imperfect, you know, when we live in reality... And then we offer them forgiveness, even knowing that they're going to remain imperfect. It frees us from this bondage of 
unrealistic expectations. We're free. We no longer have to strive for for a perfect relationship that can never actually exist. Instead, we get to embrace a messy and imperfect, but actually real and genuine relationship. And and here's kind of the irony, right? In our fake, you know, perfect relationships, we have no hope of satisfaction. But in a genuine, imperfect relationship, we do have hope because we know that our satisfaction comes from our sovereign God. This is true in marriage. This is true with our parents. This is true with our kids and our friends and our neighbors and our roommates, our co-workers. See, when we forgive someone for being imperfect, we, we enter into a relationship with someone who is real, not someone who only exists in our imagination. My relationship with my earthly father, it was never as deep and meaningful as I desired before he passed away. Yet it did serve to remind me that I had a heavenly father who never lets me down. And because I did that hard work of of coming to a place where I truly forgave him, I no longer have to live with the guilt and shame of that resentment inside of me. My challenge to you today is is to think about your key relationships. Have you truly considered how God has used them for his purposes in your life? Have you come to terms with their imperfections and truly forgiven them? Is there any unforgiveness that is lurking within you, that is threatening to become a resentment? A good first step is asking God to give you a spirit of forgiveness, to help you align your heart with his. A second step might be finding a trusted counselor, a a godly friend, a pastor, a D-group leader, maybe even a therapist. Ask them to help you do the heart work that is necessary so that you can come to a place where you are ready to offer forgiveness and expect nothing in return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you so much for what you have done in our lives, for the fact that you died for us even while we were still sinners. Lord, could we feel the weight and the gratitude of your forgiveness? Could it be a catalyst in our relationship with others that when we dwell on what you have done for us and when we see how your sovereign hand has led us into the places we find ourselves, could we be overcome by compassion for those around us and ready to forgive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church 
is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.